It's a Saturday in August 1997, and in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, the Oakwood Mall's just open for business. Shoppers drift down polished corridors as a sweet aroma wafts from the original cookie company store. But today is no ordinary day at the mall, for inside Shields Allsport, it's opening day for the mall's latest attraction, a North Face Summit Shop. The Summit Shop is a store within a store, 500 square feet of North Face gear underneath the company's new slogan, Never Stop Exploring. And it doesn't take long before the mall rats of Eau Claire are homing in on this shrine to outdoor wear. Oh my God, they've got a Summit Shop now. Store manager Derek Reese turns to see a college freshman in an immaculate $300 North Face rain jacket. She starts flicking through the racks of tech wear shirts made from quick-drying nylon. Never stop exploring? More like never started, but she's exactly the consumer the Summit Shop is designed to snare. Ten years ago, only serious mountaineers wore North Face gear. Now, they're the minority. And to keep its investors happy, the North Face must lure in a lot more mainstream customers. Reese lets the woman browse the racks for a while, and then moves in. Good morning, miss. Can I help you find anything today? The student turns to answer, but then her jaw drops. Oh, wow, that tent! Reese glances over at the mango-tented tent set up at the corner of the summit shop, and then back at the student. You're interested in the tent? Well, it's a good choice. It's all season, designed for sub-zero temperatures. Yeah, whatever. I just like the color. How much? Um, $400. You take credit card? It's a great start for the Eau Claire Summit Shop, but back at the North Face head office, the picture's way less rosy. The company's opened more than 150 Summit Shops this year across America, hoping to lift sales 25%. It figured that now the cool image bestowed on the brand by rappers is helping win over suburban shoppers, there'd be a sales avalanche. But it's not happening. There just aren't enough people willing to pay top dollar for North Face gear to deliver the rapid growth the company's promised Wall Street. Now, mountains of excess product are piling up in warehouses and threatening to send the share price into freefall. Luckily, the North Faces just found a way to make the problem disappear. Trouble is, it's fraud. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, Get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. 
from Wondery. I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. On the last episode, Patagonia was hit by the recession, while bankruptcy loomed over the North Face after it overexpanded. Now they're both licking their wounds and setting out on divergent paths. Patagonia stopped chasing growth and put planet before profit. The North Face is now on the NASDAQ and pushing to become a billion-dollar brand. But its lower-priced techwear line and new summit shops are failing to deliver the sky-high growth the companies told investors to expect. And now, the North Face is about to resort to subterfuge to cover its mistakes in order to maintain its ascent. This is Episode 5, Rescue Mission. It's December 1997. And in an inconspicuous office in Connecticut, the North Face's 39-year-old finance chief, Christopher Crawford, is out to salvage a bad quarter. He's sitting down with a rep from a barter company. Barter companies are corporate swap shops, places where businesses can offload merch that didn't sell in exchange for other services or goods. Crawford's hoping this company will make his Christmas by relieving the North Face of the excess inventory clogging up its warehouses. The unsold surplus spans the company's entire range, from mango-colored mountain light jackets and black woolly hats to merlot-hued tundra pile vests and hot-shot day packs. These unwanted items are more than a storage cost. They're also money locked up in fabric, money the North Face can't reclaim until the garment is sold. The rep taps some figures into the spreadsheet on his PC and turns to Crawford. Okay, Mr. Crawford, we'll accept the inventory at the full wholesale price. Crawford feels relief flooding his body. With this deal, the North Face will get paid its full profit margin on its unsold gear. But there is a catch. And that catch is that this will not be a cash deal. The coordinator glances at his spreadsheet again. So that's $7.8 million in trade credits. The North Face can redeem those credits for goods and services offered by other companies in our network. We've got advertising agencies, we've got printers, Crawford cuts in. Actually, first, I've got a condition. I need a veto on who you sell the inventory to. The North Face is a premium brand. We can't have discount stores flooded with our product. That's not a problem. I'll get the contract drafted and over to you later this week. Crawford leaves in an upbeat mood. He's just offloaded the North Face's unsold gear and, more importantly, made a sale that will shore up the company's soggy fourth-quarter sales. Or so he thinks. A few days later, at the North Face's headquarters in San Leandro, California, the barter company faxes over the contract. There's just one thing Crawford needs to check. Crawford picks up his desk phone and calls the North Face's auditor. Hey, it's Christopher. I'm about to sign off on a barter deal. They're buying our excess inventory for the full wholesale price, and they're paying in trade credits. How do I list that profit in our accounts? In short, you don't. 
you can't count trade credits as dollars earned. Doing so violates generally accepted accounting principles, GAAP. Crawford's eyes widen. The North Face needs this deal on the books. If the millions from the barter trade aren't in the figures, investors might run scared and the company's stock price could tumble. After getting his shock in check, Crawford calls the barter company's representative to reopen negotiations. He knows all cash isn't going to fly, so he offers the next best option. I need to alter our agreement. I need the deal to be half cash, half trade credits. Oh, um, well, Mr. Crawford, we're not going to pay cash when the North Face can veto who we sell the items to. You're tying our hands and making this deal too risky. Let's face it, if you could sell the inventory through your normal channels, you wouldn't have come to us, right? Crawford purses his lips. Okay, okay. How about this? The North Face will guarantee that you will recover at least 60% of the price when you resell the product. And if you don't, we'll make up the difference by buying back the merchandise. Oh, well, that changes everything. Given that guarantee, we'd be willing to make it a part cash, part credit deal. Over the next month, the North Face adds the barter transaction to its books. It counts all the cash as profit, even though, under the terms of Crawford's guarantee to the barter company, the North Face could find itself buying back the gear. Then, the North Face makes another sneaky move. It splits the trade credits across two quarters. Split in two, the amounts involved fall below the threshold that would force the auditor to strike the sale from the accounts. And, despite knowing the barter transactions are being counted in the figures, the auditor deems the amount immaterial and signs it off. The move delivers a $5 million boost to the company's 1997 results and another $2.4 million in 1998. But the ruse won't go unnoticed for long. It's March 1999, and in the North Face's new head office in Carbondale, Colorado, the board is settling in for an update from the company's new auditor. They're not expecting any surprises. As far as they know, 1998 was a great year for the North Face. Annual revenues hit $250 million, a 25% increase. But the auditors got bad news for them. There's no sugarcoating this. To get up to speed for the 1998 audit, I went back over the 1997 paperwork, and I have uh, found some troubling anomalies. The directors exchange worried looks. Troubling anomalies? That can't be good. North Face CEO James Fifield jumps in. Anomalies? Yeah, a significant amount of inventory was sold for trade credits, and that seems to have been improperly added to the accounts. In addition, it seems you've bought back the unsold inventory sold to the barter company, erasing most of these so-called earnings. It seems that buyback was because of a guarantee given to the barter company. Fifield looks worried. Could it be an error? Uh, an oversight? Not sure. Uh, but it's not the only transaction that I believe needs further investigation. Fifield gulps. 
He's just launched a bid to buy the North Face himself and take it back into private ownership. Now, he's being told the company's finances aren't what they seem, which is sure to kill his financing. Fifield turns to the board's legal advisor. Do we have to tell the markets about this now? The attorney nods. Fifield gulps again. The next day, the North Face announces it's re-examining its previous financial statements. The Nasdaq temporarily halts sales of the company's stock. When trading resumes the next day, the company's stock plunges 10% to less than $12. A few weeks later, the North Face releases revised figures and confirms that several transactions were improperly recorded. Annual profits for 1997 are cut from 11 to $8 million. The first quarter results from 1998 swing from a slim profit to a loss of $800,000. By midsummer, Crawford's out, and the Securities and Exchange Commission is investigating. Crawford later settles with the SEC, agreeing to fines and a five-year ban from serving as an officer of a public company without admitting or denying the allegations against him. Others involved with the misleading accounts, including the auditor who signed off on the books, also get rebukes from the SEC. The fallout also torpedoes Fifield's plan to buy the North Face. In September 1999, with his buyout plan in ruins and the company crumbling fast... Fifield resigns as CEO. That year, the company loses $100 million thanks to a toxic combo of unsold inventory, late deliveries, and rapidly deteriorating relationships with retailers. It's also carrying more than $100 million of debt and battling multiple stockholder lawsuits. By March 2000, the North Face is staring into the abyss. Its shares are now worth less than $2, and bankruptcy is days away. After 35 years of blazing the trail, the North Face's big adventure looks like it's over. But on the opposite side of the country, a rescue mission is already in motion. It's March 2000, and in Greensboro, North Carolina, the VF Corporation's senior team is meeting. VF is a 100-year-old $5 billion clothing colossus. It's the home of Wrangler and Lee Jeans, the house of Vanity Fair underwear, and the owner of backpack maker Jansport. But the man at the head of the conference room table is worried. He's VF's 60-year-old CEO, Mackie McDonald. He's been looking at the future and he's come to a stark conclusion. If VF is to last another century, it must adapt fast. And now is the time. The age of people wearing the same pair of everyman jeans is coming to an end. People want clothing brands that make a statement about who they are and the lifestyle they lead. We need to acquire more lifestyle brands. And I've already spotted a target. The team leans forward, eager to hear who their boss has his sights on. The North Face. They're in deep trouble right now. They'll probably be bankrupt within the month. But it's a powerhouse of a brand. 
It's got a loyal customer base, and its clothes make a clear statement that the wearer is adventurous and values both quality and function. One of the team interjects. Okay, but if it's such a great brand, why is it going under? Brand's great, but its operations are a mess. I mean, just as an example, in the past couple of years, they wasted millions moving their head office from California to Colorado and back again for seemingly no reason at all. But look, I'm not worried about operational problems. We've got the money and the expertise needed to fix all that. It's the brand power I want. The team nods. They also believe VF can fix the North Face. The finance chief raises the question that's top of his mind. Makes sense. What's the price tag? McDonald grins. <laughs> that's the best part. They're in such a state the price is going to be low, especially if we strike fast and buy them before they slip into bankruptcy. Two dollars a share should do it. Twenty-five million in cash. We'd have to take on their debts, though. That'll be another hundred to a hundred and fifty million dollars. The finance chief doesn't bat an eyelid. Even with the debt rolled in, <laughs> this is a bargain. Moments later, the team backs McDonald's plan. The mission to rescue the North Face is on. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's May 2000, and an army from the east is swarming through the red corridors of the North Face's headquarters in San Leandro, California. They fan out across the building, armed with pens and business theories, and dressed in a uniform of suit jackets, pleated khakis, and freshly shined shoes. It's mere days since the VF Corporation swooped in and rescued the North Face from the financial cliff edge. Now, it's moving fast to iron out the problems that push the brand to the brink. In one meeting room, a North Face designer in sandals is showing an executive from VF's Hong Kong office his designs for winter 2001. The designer puts on a black jacket, zips it up, and sticks his right hand into his chest pocket. This is the radiant red point jacket. It's got lightweight insulation that reflects 50% of body heat back at the wearer, keeping them warmer. The Hong Kong executive nods. I see. 
What material is the insulation? Um, it's 100G Primaloft 1 synthetic insulation. The man from Hong Kong makes a note. And the fabric? Keeler nylon ripstop. Okay. My team in Hong Kong will start buying these materials. The designer looks surprised. You'll handle that? Yes, that's what the Hong Kong office does. We procure materials, organize production, manage shipments. The North Face will keep designing and promoting its clothes, but VF will handle manufacturing and logistics. That maximizes savings and efficiency. In the room next door, a team of VF optimization specialists is grappling with the North Face's most pressing problem, late deliveries. Over the years, the North Face has built a reputation as a flaky supplier. Stores place orders and then cross their fingers. Sometimes orders arrive too late in the season to sell. Other times orders arrive on time, but with the wrong merchandise. As the North Face slid towards bankruptcy, the situation only worsened after some of its Asian factories began fretting that they wouldn't get paid and halted shipments altogether. One VF executive updates his colleagues on the North Face's delivery issues. It's total chaos. Just 45% of retail orders are delivered on time. The head of the team looks aghast. He's never encountered a delivery rate that bad before. No wonder they're going bust. I want at least 90% of deliveries on time by Christmas. Can that be done? The analyst smiles. Yes, there are no fundamental problems, just poor organization. In the months that follow, the union between the North Face's West Coast dreaming and VF's East Coast discipline ushers in a rapid transformation. Within six months, late deliveries are rare. Within 14 months, the excess inventory that once filled the company's warehouses is gone. By 2002, the North Face is sprinting ahead, smashing VF's growth expectations. It's nimbler, too. When VF's data crunchers spot that pink will be the end color of fall 2003, the North Face is able to jack up production of pink jackets on short notice and cash in. But while VF is busy airlifting the North Face to new heights, Patagonia's investigating ways to make the old new again. It's early 2005, Japan. Patagonia's environmental chief, Jill Domain, is being shown around a sprawling industrial works in the city of Matsuyama. The complex is owned by chemical giant Teijun, and they've created a new process that's got Domain very excited. A male Teijun executive in a white short-sleeved shirt leads her into a large building. Inside, a river of old garments is tumbling down a chute and into a large dumpster. Here is where we sort the waste polyester garments. Things like zippers and buttons must be removed before we can process the material. The executive leads Domain up a flight of metal steps and along a gangway, until finally they're looking down on a huge pale green machine that resembles a shipping container. This is the heart of our EcoCircle solution. Here the garments are shredded and melted to break down the polyester so it can be spun into new polyester yarn. It's as good as virgin polyester. Domain stares at the machine in awe for a moment, then turns to the executive. How does the energy used in your process compare to producing polyester from scratch? 
The Tejan executive beams with pride. EcoCircle uses a quarter of the energy and releases 40% less CO2 than virgin polyester made from petroleum. Domain smiles. She's just found the recycling system Patagonia's been looking for. In September 2005, Patagonia puts its discovery in Japan to use. It launches a recycling program called Common Threads that encourages its customers to reuse, repair, and if all else fails, recycle their old Patagonia gear. The company urges Patagonia wearers to drop off their worn-out polyester garments at its stores or mail them in. The company then sends the garments onto Tejan's plant in Japan to be turned back into polyester yarn. Patagonia's army of devotees immediately rises to the challenge. By spring 2007, they've donated so many garments that half the polyester used to make the company's best-selling Capline underwear is recycled. Not that the switch does Patagonia's bottom line any good. Taejun's recycled polyester costs 20% more than virgin polyester. But that's a hit Patagonia founder Yvonne Chouinard is willing to take. He figures that other companies will eventually follow Patagonia's lead, driving down the cost of recycled polyester. But there are business upsides, too. The Common Threads program further underlines Patagonia's status as a responsible company and wins it even more loyal customers. By 2009, Patagonia is growing steadily, and annual sales have surpassed $300 million a year. But that leaves them far behind the North Face. Since VF's takeover, the North Face has gone from bloodied and broken to an outdoor superpower. It's now selling more than $1.2 billion of gear a year, and it's replaced Lee and Wrangler as VF's biggest brand. It's also a brand that seems to have no boundaries. It's winning over ultra-cool New York teens through its collaborations with underground streetwear brand Supreme. Its noopsy puffer jackets and vests are worn by young and old, rural and urban dwellers alike. Even politicians like Mitt Romney and Barack Obama sport its logo. In short, everyone's wearing North Face. And now that it's reached the very top of the fashion business, the North Face is turning its attention to another challenge, catching up with Patagonia on environmental responsibility. On the next episode, Patagonia rails against Black Friday, the North Face heads for the farms, and the two rivals unite for a showdown with the president. From Wondery, this is Business Wars, and we sure hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. You'll find a link on the episode notes. Simply tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll also see some offers from our sponsors, and you can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, here's another way you can support us. Give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. Here's yet another way that you can help us out. Answer a short survey over at Wondery.com survey and tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear next. We should say something about the conversations in this episode. We can't know exactly what was said at the time, but the dialogue is based on our best research. 
Now, if you'd like to learn more about Patagonia and the North Face, we would recommend Let My People Go Surfing by Yvonne Chouinard and Conquering the North Face by Hap Klopp. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering. Hi, I'm Brooke. And I'm Arisha. And we're the hosts of Even the Rich. So I want you to imagine you're about to go on stage and perform in front of 30,000 cheering fans. You pop a cough drop, take some deep breaths, tell yourself, you can do this. And that's when your brother steps into your dressing room. He tells you the police are here. Either you clean up your act or you'll get arrested. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But you just laugh and say good, because the you in this story is Madonna. You're going to give the police a moment they'll never forget. Ooh, so what happens next? If you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the newest season of Even the Rich, The Making of Madonna. Follow on Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.